So we're going to be reading from 1 Peter. We're going to be reading chapters 4 and 5. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live like the rest of their earthly they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regards to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian... Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, 
because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings. So does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Thank you, Esther. Greet one another with a kiss of love. That must definitely be contextual just to then, right? Okay. We don't want our welcomers greeting you with a kiss. That might be appropriate to some. I don't know. Thanks for reading, Esther. If you've got a Bible with you or your phone, be handy to keep that passage because we'll show the verses on the screen, but we'll flick around a bit. So it's really important to have realistic expectations in life, isn't it? Because things, if you've got the wrong expectations, things can be really disappointing, like holidays or education, entertainment, or food. I've got a little video for you here. Thank you. Product versus passion. Now that looks okay, doesn't it? Looks quite nice. And that's what's inside. Yum, yum. We're going to rush out and buy one of those. Things are especially disappointing, aren't they, when you've been promised one thing, but you get something much worse. Well, I wonder what are your expectations for the Christian life? What are your expectations for the Christian life? Is it something like this? So we've got a slide here. This is by a a very popular, one of those kind of prosperity preachers, Joseph Prince, and he says in this in one of his books, you are destined to reign in life. You are called by the Lord to be a success, to enjoy wealth, to enjoy health, and to enjoy a life of victory. It's not the Lord's desire that you live a life of defeat, poverty, and failure. Well, that sounds quite nice, doesn't it? But you've got to wonder if Joseph Prince has ever read the passage that we've just read. So verse 12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. 18 times in this short letter, Peter talks about Christians suffering for their faith. So it's important that we get our expectations right or else we might be in danger of giving up. It's important that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and see our suffering as he saw his own suffering. Now, just to be clear, we're not talking about the issue of suffering generally here. So when we look at 1 Peter, we're not talking about sickness or bereavement or poverty, although we are helped to understand those things indirectly. But that's not what this passage is talking about. We never want to say more than the passage. It's important to be precise. So we'll leave being imprecise to Joseph Prince. But if you want to know more on the broader topic of 
suffering. Here's some books you might find helpful that you can borrow off me or buy. So Paul David Tripp's Suffering. That's more kind of sort of pastoral, touchy-feely one, I think. Um, We want to go a bit deeper. Timothy Keller's Walking with God Through Suffering and Pain. And then this one's aimed at youth or new Christians, or if you're just working out, suffering and evil. That's a really short one as well. So you can borrow those off me. But what we're talking about, the suffering we're talking about, that Peter's talking about, is specifically suffering unjustly for being a Christian. And probably the same sort of low-key persecution we face, being socially shunned, looked down on, thought of as naive, fantasists, stupid, bigoted, even hateful. And in fact, because we're Christian, experiencing less success, wealth, health, and less victories, and more failures in the here and now, because we belong to Jesus. So that's the kind of suffering in view here. Now, it's been a few weeks since we're in 1 Peter, so here's where we're up to. Peter's letter, he's writing this letter to instruct his readers about who they are in Christ, their identity as his, God's children in Christ, so that a new way of seeing ourselves might both encourage us as we suffer and motivate our life and behavior and choices. And having explained that suffering, even suffering to death, is not a sign of weakness or defeat, Peter's now urging us to arm ourselves to stand firm, to stand firm with the same determination resolve that Jesus had. So there's an outline for you. We'll just leave that up um, if you found that kind of thing helpful. So don't go back, live. Don't retreat, love. Don't be surprised, rejoice. And don't domineer, be humble. So first up, don't go back, live. Because faced with the suffering that comes from living your new life in Jesus, in new godly ways, the Peter commands, don't give in and ease the pressure by going back to your old ways. Living by faith in Jesus, with him as Lord of your life, means that you're called to, and that you increasingly want to, live a godly life for him. And that means giving up old ways of living. Verse 3. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. The problem is giving up those things doesn't go down well with those who think that is where life is to be found. Verse 4. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. Now, you might have seen this in small ways. When, If you've ever gone to a, an event or a night out where alcohol is served, especially if it's free and everybody else is drinking and you're not, well, how many times do you get asked about it? Oh, are you sure you don't want to have a drink? And it's because those that are drinking feel like you're judging them for drinking whilst you're not. Or maybe if at work or in a mum's group or wherever it is, you don't join in the gossip and the backstabbing, well, you've broken those social bonding rules. So pretty soon, you're in the out group and you're the one being gossiped about and backstabbed. Well, how then do we stand firm in the face of abuse? Well, first, we've got to think like Jesus. Think like Jesus. Verse 1, 
Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. So that attitude of Jesus, we've seen in the rest of the letter, is to endure suffering now, knowing that we're following God's goodwill, and knowing the future glory, the future eternal life of perfect joy and peace that we look forward to. So arm yourself with the attitude that, sure, this suffering is really bad, but through it, people will be pointed to God and his goodness. And when I die or Jesus returns, that perfect peace and joy with God I'll inherit will make it all worthwhile. Uh, First one also says, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. So if you've suffered at all for being a Christian... You're done with sin. Well, really? Does that mean we should expect to be perfect, sinless perfection before we die? Well, no, it means that by trusting and believing in Jesus to save save us and rule our lives, it means we've made a decisive break with sin. We've changed who we are. Every time we suffer for not going back to our old ways, well, sin's losing its grip on us. Sin is weakened. You see, most people's lives show that they're about themselves. So kind of life is a constant campaign to minimize suffering, maximize ease. But as we follow Jesus, pursuing a life, deliberately pursuing a life that causes us more pain, not less, well, that shows that we're truly at heart, that we're on about someone else that we're on about Jesus. And those activities in verse 3, that sort of sin list, if you like, they're not really surprising because they make perfect sense of living in this broken world if this world is all there is to worry about and our own enjoyment. If If this life and our enjoyment of it in the world now is all there is to worry about, it makes perfect sense. So I think that's why our evangelism should never start, should never start, begin with moralizing, talking about do's and don'ts. Because Christian ethics don't make sense unless you care what Christ thinks. But the truth is, here and now is not all there is. So verse 5. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What we do matters to God. Every one of us owes him as our creator. We all owe him an explanation for what we've done with the life he's given us. All of us will have to give an account. But verse 6 there, that anticipates an objection. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. What Peter's saying there is is as if someone said, yeah, but last time I checked, there's a 100% death rate amongst Christians as well. So we're all going to end up dead. So we might as well enjoy ourselves on the way. Well, Peter's argument is that yes, uh, because we live in a sin, 
Sin is in the world still. We will die. But after we die and face God, we escape judgment when we give our account because we've already been given new life by his Holy Spirit. So in a very real sense, our eternal life has already begun. But left to give an account for ourselves, just us, to back us up, well, what seems to bring escape from suffering in this world actually brings more suffering in the long run in this world and even more in the long run eternally. So I have to ask, Christian, brothers and sisters, are you giving yourself any little permissions to dabble in those verse 3 things? Maybe telling yourself, oh, I can't help it, that's just how I'm wired. Well, the Bible says, no, it's not. Actually, you've been rewired. You've been made new in Jesus. You've been given new spiritual birth. You belong to the glory to come, even if that means suffering and feeling like you're missing out now. And the reality is, you're not missing out at all. Now, perhaps uh, people we know are unbelieving friends, family and colleagues. Maybe they're not debauched or drunk or carousing. Maybe they're not extreme. But as we see them living for more subtle idols that will fail to deliver eternal life, well, let's ask God to give us Jesus' heart for them. To not get hung up on the sin and moralizing but appreciating Jesus and realizing there's only him who can save us. So that we'll be brave enough to love people by telling them about Jesus, who can, the only one who can give them true life. So don't go back to your old ways, live. Our second heading then, don't retreat, love, excuse me. Don't retreat, love. Looking at verse, chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. So being a Christian means, no argument, means being part of a church. So that means deliberately being involved in the lives of more people. And given we all sin, given the difficulties we all go through, being part of a church means opening ourselves up to more potential suffering. So not just our own problems and suffering, but everybody else's as well. And potentially to the people who are part of that church, causing us to suffer. Now, I've lost count of the number of Christians I've met who either are not going to church anymore or won't settle in a church because at some point they've been genuinely unjustly hurt by another Christian in a church. That happens, doesn't it? But Peter says, Peter commands, don't withdraw, love. So chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. 
So faced with a difficult life of suffering as you follow Jesus, the temptation is to withdraw from where all the trouble is. But Peter commands, do the opposite. Don't withdraw. Love one another. Because faced with all this suffering, we need each other's help. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another. Not just offer hospitality. That's, the, that's relatively easy. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So whatever you enjoy or are good at or are just willing to do, use it to serve others. Because that thing that you enjoy or are you good at or you're willing to do is a form of God's grace. It's the thing he's entrusted you with. So what are you going to do with it? So a specific example for me is somebody who teaches God's word, verse 11. For me, it means preparing for talks like this really carefully, checking the original language if I can, um, making sure what I'm saying fits with the rest of the Bible, and thinking about what God wants to say to you from this passage, sticking to the passage, and not just what you want to hear, or what I think you want to hear. Uh, with the aim that you forget me and engage with God and his word. So what does serving others look like for you? But did you notice verse 7? The end of all things is near. The end is nigh. This might be in the King, old King James, wasn't it? The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So this is in, in the context of thinking that Jesus' return is imminent. Now, there's been lots of ink spilled on ideas of what will happen at the end of the world exactly. Lots of different ideas and interpretations of the Bible. But I just encourage you to think about the pastoral application. That is, how should we live in light of the facts that Jesus is definitely going to return and it's going to be really a really big deal, big, dramatic, unmissable. How should we live in light of that? Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So at very least, the end of the world coming means that you have to have people around your house if you can. Or it means you have to prioritize accepting such an invitation. Or just hang out, maybe even, I don't know, go bowling. Surely it'll go easier on you next time. But intentionally building up time spent with one another so we can really know each other and really love each other. Because the Christian life is really hard and we need each other's help. Verse 8, we do this being alert and of sober mind. So that's the second of three times that Peter calls us to be sober-minded or clear-headed. So here's the other ones. Got a slide for you. So in chapter 1, he said, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that he's coming. Next, the last, there's one we just read as well. And then the last one is in chapter 5, we heard read. Be alert, And of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
So suffering for Jesus is it's discombobulating, isn't it? It can lead you to lose your head. So I think it's a bit like the end of term in a school. Okay? So just as the teachers and the students and everyone is at their most tired, well, that's when there's a bunch of assessment and deadlines and reports to write and exams. There's something about being at the end means that you need to bring into focus what you're there for in the first place. So that's where we are. We're in sort of the end times, the times between when Jesus has ascended to heaven and him returning. So be sober so that you don't forget the good news, happy ending that you've been guaranteed, an inheritance that won't fade. Be sober, looking forward. So be sober so that your reflex is to rely on God in prayer so that you can love and forgive people instead of resenting and withdrawing. Be sober so that you're alert to Satan trying to get you to give up. Now, as it comes to Satan, he's a real being, evil, completely evil. We don't need to worry about him too much. We don't need to try and uncover and defeat all his conspiracies. But nor should we be naive. Satan is real and he's vicious, doesn't play fair. And he wants you to give up. He wants you to stop standing firm. But we resist by standing firm in faith. We resist by doing the very thing he wants you to not do. Sticking with Jesus, having a clear-headed view of Jesus and trusting in him. Sticking with Jesus and the original gospel truth that you know about him. Resist by sticking with the faith. Resist by knowing your suffering for Jesus is a good sign of belonging to him. So it's not a reason to give up. Suffering for Jesus is a good sign that we belong to him. And we resist Satan by sticking with God's people. So resist, let me just go over those again. Resist uh, by standing firm in the faith, sticking with Jesus and the gospel. Um, Resist by knowing that your suffering is a good sign. And resist by sticking together as God's people. So, of course, the flip side of that, uh, not withdrawing but loving, the flip side is, if you're neglecting to love and serve God's people, well, you could be putting them at risk of falling away. If you're neglecting to love and serve God's people, you're kind of putting them in Satan's teeth. So don't withdraw from people at church when it gets hard. Love and serve. We've got to do the hard thing of taking the risk of truly opening up to one another and caring for one another. We've got to come to church for the sake of other people. As Christians, there's a whole lot of things we don't get to do that everybody else does. We don't get to bear grudges. We don't get to stay offended. We don't get to have relationships only with people that we naturally get on with. We don't get to come to church only for what we get out of it. Because we belong to Jesus. 
And that's not the way he does relationships. Jesus opened himself to suffering for us. All the way to suffering on the cross. So that he could save us. And it's his example we follow. Next heading. Don't be surprised. Rejoice. Michael talked about this a bit with the kids. So I wonder, what would you say is a sign of the Holy Spirit resting on someone? Maybe you'd say, oh, they're really peaceful. Uh, They're really godly. Maybe they display miraculous gifts. Well, how about being insulted? Verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So the first 12 that we looked at with Michael, suffering fiery ordeal for Jesus isn't strange for a Christian. It's par for the course. It's the normal Christian life. So don't be surprised. And not only is it normal, it's good because it helps us live out in the here and now following Jesus' example. He was uh, insulted and suffered unjustly, and so we do as well. His suffering led to future glory, and so will ours. Now, note verse 15, Peter's not daft, he's not naive. He knows that sometimes we suffer uh, through our own fault because we deserve to, because we've done something stupid. He's not telling us to seek out suffering for the sake of it, But he is saying unjust suffering for Jesus shows that we belong to Jesus. In fact, he words it stronger than that. Verse 17, suffering for Jesus is God's judgment falling on us, his church. And it's a positive judgment. It's a judgment that we really are his people. This is real, legit. Our lot is thrown in with Jesus. And when you think about it, what Peter is asking of us here is really radical. To interpret suffering for Jesus as a good thing and not a bad thing to be avoided. Because Jesus is the circuit breaker, if you like, in our response to suffering. Because left to ourselves, what, what we normally do, would normally do left to ourselves, is to do the thing that makes life easier. You know, go for glory now, ease now. But when we remember Jesus and his cross, well, then we see him single-mindedly pursuing the hardest thing to save us, to save us from being separated from God. So let me put it like this. If you're not a Christian yet, this is um, how, how it was put to me as a young teenager of how to, the ABCD of how to become a Christian. Got a slide there. So A was admit, admit that you've done wrong against God and against people, admit that he should be Lord of your life and that you need forgiveness. So admit, B, believe that Jesus is God's son and he's done everything you need to be saved. And then C, here's where it fits in with this passage, C was count the cost. Being a Christian means that in this life, here and now, means you will miss out 
and all sorts of things. It means people will reject you. It will mean life is harder. Yeah, I reckon every Christian here, even the ones who've suffered for Jesus the most, will tell you that it's still the most wonderful, fulfilling, joy-filled way to spend your years on earth. Despite the suffering and even because of the suffering. But we need to be up front. No small print, no surprises. It costs to be a Christian. And the D was decide. Decide to trust Jesus and make him Lord of your life. But for those of us who are Christians, knowing the fiery ordeal is par for the course anyway, it's going to happen anyway, well, let's take a few risks. In particular, this spring, I want all of us to be thinking about and praying for one to three unbelievers that we know and intentionally, deliberately build relationship with them so that they might introduce them to Jesus. Now, things like this, people often say, oh, but you're just like treating someone like a project. Well, no, because genuinely caring for someone, genuinely loving someone, well, that will involve sharing Jesus, won't it? If Jesus is their most, really is their biggest need in life, it's unloving not to share him. So think about who you can be building relationship with and praying for. So final head in, uh, number four, don't dominate, be humble. Um, so this is just a very quick look at chapter five. I'm not doing chapter five justice here. I can help you find sermons online that will um, go through it more thoroughly. Well, here's the gist. Suffering can lead us to think, well, I deserve better than this. And to come out swinging punches to try and grab more ease through power or autonomy. But all believers are called to humility. So verses 2 to 4, leaders are to look after, not lord over. Look after, not lord over. So in our context, elders or leaders, are that's me and Michael, it's our growth group leaders, it's our team leaders in serving, but actually every Christian is the Christian leader to their relational network of unbelievers. So we're all called to humbly caring for and serving those in our care, not using a position of power for what we can get out of it, but to be an example and to serve Jesus, to please Jesus. So verse 5, the example is younger to submit to elders. And then all of us are to clothe ourselves with humility. Humble ourselves. Humble ourselves to admitting that life isn't all about us. It's all about Jesus. Humble ourselves to life being harder in the here and now for Jesus' sake. So if you've never humbled yourself to Jesus, well, why not? Humbling yourself to Jesus is what he deserves. It's what you're made for. 
And it's what's best for you in the here and now, even if it brings suffering, and what's best for you in eternity. And you can trust Jesus with your life because he cares about you more than anyone. And he's proven it by humbling himself to death on a cross to save you. Chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. To sum up then. Belonging to Jesus will bring suffering like from external sources as we don't line up with the world and they don't like that. It'll bring suffering from ourselves as we open up to people and the difficulties that brings to help each other out. So stand firm. That's your take-home message. Stand firm. Keep your wits about you, sober-minded. Make sure you're clear about Jesus. Don't let anything muddy the waters. Stand firm by doing good, not going back to old destructive sins. And knowing that as you resist that, those sins, sin loses its grip on you every day. Which sin are you going to drop this week? Which sin are you going to resist more strongly this week? Stand firm, not retreating, but loving one another deeply. So what grudge are you going to let go this week? What invitation to hang out are you going to offer or take up? Stand firm by not being surprised at copping some heat for being a Christian. So what relationship with an unbeliever are you going to deliberately nurture for their sake and for Jesus' sake even if it makes things more difficult. And stand firm, humbling yourself to a more difficult life now because Jesus chose the most difficult life to bring us the best life for eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he endured the ultimate suffering for our sake. Please help us to keep our eyes fixed on him and help us to know deep in our hearts the future hope that we're going to enjoy and that all this suffering and missing out will seem worth it, more than worth it. Help us keep our wits about us. Help us to keep doing good and keep turning from sin. Help us to keep loving one another deeply, even when that's really hard work. Help us to drop grudges. Help us to really invest in someone who doesn't know you with the hope and prayer that they will know you. Amen. We're going to respond in song by fixing our eyes on Jesus, by singing no other name.